This is Arab Talk on KPOO 89.5 FM in San Francisco. This is Arab Talk with Jess and Jamal, and I'm Jess Nam. And I'm Jamal Dejani. Well, Jamal, it didn't take much into this year. We're at another major crisis point. We have so many crises. We're on the verge of potentially uh, a war in Ukraine between Russia, Ukraine, and Ukrainian proxies, NATO, the European Union, and the United States, that could lead to the biggest outbreak of war since World War II on the European continent. We're on the verge of that. We're going to be talking a little bit about the potential for war in Ukraine, the implications globally, but also for the Middle East, because it definitely has implications for the Middle East. And there's a lot to say about that, because all of the proxies involved in the Ukrainian-Russian equation are also involved in the Middle East, and it'd be good to kind of um, unpack that a little bit. And also, is, we're going to talk... Is, it is a global uh, yeah, yeah. impact, you know. Yeah, of course. And, you know, we have a lot to say about that, obviously, from the Arab perspective, from the Arab talk perspective. And then we're going to talk a little bit about the asymmetry in the... U- well, this is no breaking news, right, Jamal? The asymmetry in U.S. foreign policy when it comes to expansionism, when it comes to confronting Russia, even China, but letting the apartheid state of Israel off with yet another pass as they continue their uh, systematic uh, ethnic cleansing of Palestinians in the West Bank and in Gaza. And, uh, you know, we're going to be talking about more land theft and attacks on Palestinian civilians, as well as other other expansions of their apartheid practices. Um and if there's time left, you know, we'll talk a little bit about the COVID pandemic because um, I, I want to give a little antidote to some of the media that's saying, oh, things are looking better right now. But where you and I are in Northern California, it's pretty devastating. Anyways, let's talk a little bit about Russia and Ukraine, Jamal. I personally believe that we're closer to war than what many of the pundits are saying right now. And I'm kind of on the side of thinking that Vladimir Putin is not going to back down and is going to ratchet up uh, tensions between the United States, uh, NATO, the European Union, and uh, Ukraine. Well, uh, obviously, fears of uh, a Russian invasion of uh, the Ukraine are growing as uh, military buildup at the border shows no sign of dissipating and the crisis stokes remain at an impasse. Russia, uh, they keep saying, you know, they're talking about uh, Putin. I think he's a very smart guy. I think you agree with me. And he keeps denying that they are preparing to invade its neighbor, the the Ukraine, uh, despite uh, stationing. This is uh, the numbers that we're receiving around 100,000 Russian troops at various locations along the border. This is uh, according to Ukrainian and Western officials. So we haven't. And by seen the way, th- the they're on one. three, and they're on three sides of Ukraine right now. So they're on the north, they're on the east, and they're on the south. So they're they're they've got their either their own military in Russia, or I know they have people they have military stationed in Belarus right now, Jamal. So they're on three sides of Ukraine. Yeah, so so he's playing the game like, oh, we have the right to position our troops on our borders. And if you want to talk about the Ukraine, let's talk about NATO. So he's connecting, you know, this is where he's putting Biden's back to a wall and NATO's back to a wall, the United States. And he said, OK, if you want to talk about that, let's talk about that. You have to put it in legal form. Not, not just like you're going to promise, oh, we're not going to be at your borders with NATO having uh, the Ukraine joining, you know, uh, NATO. Right. And, and he wants that in legal form, saying that the United States and NATO guarantees that the Ukraine will never be part of NATO. That's, that's a non-starter. That's, that's yeah, a non-starter. That's, that's his demand. It's a very intelligent demand. It kind of reminds me, you and I are old enough, and uh, <laughs> I remember... Not, I, I don't remember it as a youngster, uh, but I studied it in political science, right? The Cuban Missile Crisis, right? This That's is right. the example That's where right. everyone thought about, oh, the, this was like political science 101. Like if you, if you, <laughs> you want to get into international affairs, that's one of the scenarios that you study. 
And in it, basically, it was almost the same thing. People were thinking about, oh, look at the Russians or the USSR, of course, at the time. They're placing missiles in Cuba, but no one was talking about the United States placing missiles in Turkey. And what Khrushchev at the time, what he was playing, he wanted the United States to get rid of its nuclear missiles out of Turkey. So... Americans heard half the story. I mean, you know, it's like, oh, my God, Cuba, you know, it's like, you know, a few hundred miles away from uh, our right. shores in Florida. It's uh, destruction. And you were here. I wasn't here in the 60s. But I, from what I heard, people were practicing the drills, duck right. and hide under under your right. desk. In, in Right. You know, it's crazy. Of course, this is... But it's the same thing now. I mean... But here's the difference, Jamal. One difference is Vladimir Putin is a lot smarter than Khrushchev. He's a lot more strategic than Khrushchev. And I think he's psychologically... And this is, you know, a little bit because I do have a bit of a psychological profile on Putin. He's far more dangerous than Khrushchev ever was. And... Um, well, he's, he's the product of the KGB. He was the head of the KGB. People forget about that. That's right. The head of the KGB and did some ruthless things. And by the way, under the Russian regime, continues to do ruthless things against journalists and uh, opponents uh, of of his uh, of his you know presidency. He's president for life essentially in Russia, as you said, and I agree with you a hundred percent. Putin's a lot smarter than than all the recent memory Russian presidents, premiers, you know, leaders. He's a smart, smart man. He has a little bit of a Napoleon complex. I could say that because he's a pretty short guy, too. I mean, if you want to if you want to look at it, he's in terms of... Well, we shouldn't talk his, about uh, No, I mean, it's, it's, uh, but it's part of, but it's part of the psychological profile that I'm, that I'm saying because Putin does have this thing where he demands respect. He doesn't want to be looked down upon. He he lives towards this fantasy of the old and, glory. And, and he wants to resettate the Soviet Union. Of He's course. He's not he, happy about this whole breakup. He wants to right. maybe recreate it. And starting, That's right. Uh, the Ukraine is a starting point. Look, uh I've been. I haven't no, I been to Russia, right. but I've been to former Soviet kind of bloc countries like uh, Poland and Hungary and what have you. And these countries, like starting with Pe Poland, part of the EU now, and so forth. So the former Soviet, since he's from the former Soviet uh, regime, he's been watching. You know, as the years go by, not only that they have lost territory, not only that they have lost influence. But these countries are joining Western Europe rather than the Eastern Europe bloc. And, and the Ukraine is at his borders. You know, it's, there is a difference between the Ukraine and, and being further south. And, and he, I think that's their experiment. I think what he wants to do, to, he wants to see how far can he push the envelope. And if, they, and if he succeeds with the Ukraine, he's going to su succeed somewhere else. And but by the way, how serious is this problem, Jess? The, today, the U.S. State Department issued, actually on Sunday, that all U.S. citizens in Ukraine leave the country immediately. Right. So, so this is how serious it is. Well, I, I think that's exactly right. But I want to remind our, our viewers and our listeners, in, in my humble opinion, I think uh, Putin has already won this battle, no matter what happens. Let's not forget he took over Crimea. Crimea is a part of Ukraine. He is occupying Crimea right now and did so under the Obama administration. And in a, this is one of my biggest criticisms of the Obama administration in terms of their foreign policy. They let, they let Putin just have Crimea. There was no real significant uh, consequence. Um, and they, they gave Putin free reign to take Crimea. And I think, you know, Ukraine and Zelensky right now, the prime minister, they're very concerned about the United States. Biden made that gaffe where he talked about, well, if uh, Russia just maybe does a they'll little, take a little bit of the pie, maybe a little bit, maybe another <laughs> chunk of the pie. It's okay. Another but bite. But let's remember okay. that the Ukrainians 
are very nervous. They've lost Crimea right now. Crimea is under occupation. Listen, listen, the Ukrainians are begging for really military intervention. They have passed the point of sanctions, and we'll talk about that. And then here is the setback for them. Of course, uh, Biden has not shown as, uh, any indications. Like when he said, well, it depends how, how far it's going to ex- uh, you know, escalate to. And maybe if it's a small, you know, here and there. And then, of course, he, and I'll, I'll talk, we'll talk about the Secretary of State, what he said uh, yesterday. But also, uh, countries allied to the United States, you know, and just give you an example, or Western countries, uh, and uh, countries that lead the European Union, like Germany, they refused to provide Ukraine with military support. Germany said that they will that they refused to provide the Ukraine military support. In contrast to the U.S. and the U.K., kind of the countries that but have it, been it's a different hinting that they will do this. Right, but it's a different political calculation for all but, of those players. Yeah, but listen to this: Germany not only refused but also blocked Estonia from sending right. German-made right. weapons to right. the Ukraine. Right. So this is... And, and, this part, is of the re- and part of the Germany reason Germany is one that, of the leadership of the EU. Yeah, but let's, despite what Blinken and Biden and uh, Boris Johnson say, there is not a united front in the EU or NATO mm-hmm. on what to do with Russia. And, let's, and our listeners and viewers may not fully appreciate this, but there's a pipeline... Uh, uh, a gas pipeline going from Russia to Germany that the Germans absolutely need. Exactly, and yes. Putin Putin knew that when he developed this pipeline that you know is going to go into Germany, and he's using that as leverage now. Publicly, you know, uh, and by the way, Angela Merkel is gone, and you know Germany has a new premier, new prime minister now, who is you know not as tough as Angela Merkel by any stretch of the imagination. He's more left center. But I think, you know, the fact that the EU and NATO are not fully unified on what to do with Russia already has played into Putin's hand. What Putin wants to do, Jamal, in the bigger scheme of things, he wants to divide the EU, he wants to divide NATO. And here's my breaking news for our listeners and viewers. Putin has his eyes on the presidency three years from now in the United States, where his buddy Donald Trump is, he's betting on Donald Trump coming back with a vengeance. I actually believe Putin is playing the long game. He's going to destabilize things. He's going to divide the EU. He's going to keep NATO fragmented. He's going to create, continue to create fragmentation here in the United States and wait three years because well, the way The most important thing he's saying, he wants legal assurances that Ukraine will not be allowed to join. And that's not going to happen. To join the I, U.S. camp and the European Military Alliance, NATO. And that's I mean, like, not going to happen. It's not going to happen. So here's it's a question. Not. Could, you know, because they keep talking about sanctions, they drive me crazy. Could more yeah. sanctions deter Russia? I don't think so. I mean, Russia is uh, so far advanced. It's going to hurt some of the oligarchs. It's going to hurt some of the, you know, some of the folks who have a lot of money who like to transfer money from Russia to European banks or to the United States. I, I mean, to be excluded from the American or the international banking system, which means the American banking system, will be difficult but not impossible. And so I don't think the sanctions are going to hurt them that much. And Well, the sanctions that will hurt them the most if, uh, if they are imposed on... It's key sectors like energy and finance. Actually, these are more uh, energy than finance. Which, yeah, which happened. Some of them happened, and officials uh, right. not traveling here and there. Uh, something like this that happened actually in 2014 uh, in the in the wake of uh, the annexation of Crimea uh, uh, from Ukraine. Which, by the way, the United States and uh, and some European countries, like I want called the entire EU basically also impose more uh, sanctions on uh, in several occasions the united states by the way in, in, in imposed sanctions on russia for its uh, 2016 us election interference there were some sanctions imposed they its role also uh, yeah. of alleged cyber attacks against the us and uh, uh, in 2018 uh, the nerve agent attack in the uk 
Right. That was also the, the Brits imposed sanctions and the United States but, followed suit. And, and Russia denied all these things, but it hasn't affected. These things hasn't. haven't affected it. And it won't, Jamal. I don't think that the sanctions are going to do anything. And I think Putin's mentality, and I really believe this, is the long game. People are really focused on, on Ukraine right now. But Putin's long-term strategy is destabilization and division. And if he can accomplish that, uh, that's going to help him, he believes, in the long run with creating a weakened EU, a weakened NATO alliance, trying to recreate the, you know, the the kind of glory days of the USSR, which he still, you know, has these grand fantasies about. And I just think, you know, we have our eye on the Ukraine as we should because, you know, we we want to protect allies and things like that. You know, that's part of the U.S. foreign policy. I'm not saying that I necessarily agree with everything in U.S. policy. But well, if that's well the, 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 the question is just, uh, I mean, we should keep an eye on it because, but then the question is, why do we have to worry about the Ukraine? Why does the United States has to worry? I mean, is the Ukraine a U.S. issue? I mean, really, this is what people... No, it's a NATO During COVID, during... Uh, right. You know, look, look, its effect on, on, the, on the economy. I mean, does the United States want to get involved in a military confrontation with Russia over the Ukraine? I would say... Uh, I believe it's going to happen, but it's not because of Ukraine. I think the U.S. probably, in terms of the intelligence reports, and as you alluded to, and as I believe, this is part of a larger Putin strategy. And they believe like if if Putin can conquer Ukraine, which maybe in the United States grand scheme of things, you know, is not worth, you know, falling, uh, you know, falling on their sword for. But if it signals kind of an ongoing expansion of Putin's wish for domination in the area, I think part of the U.S. strategy is if he's able to take over Ukraine, then that's going to have a domino effect. It'll also weaken Biden. It'll weaken Boris Johnson. It'll weaken NATO. So I don't think the issue is the Ukraine per se, but it's part of this larger geopolitical domino effect that the Ukraine symbolizes or represents. If the Ukraine goes, everybody in NATO, the United States, Boris Johnson, everybody looks really weak. And, you know, Putin has scored. I still believe no matter what happens, Jamal, Putin has come out a winner. He He's so much smarter than most people. And, uh, you know, you can't underestimate this man. The way I see it today, uh, it's the United States and the UK are the only countries maybe uh, who favor interference who favor punitive action yeah, yeah. against Russia's right. economy. But the rest of the European countries, I've been trying to read what the French uh, have been saying, what the Germans have been saying. They are really hesitant. They have they have a, they have a hesitation uh, because of economic uh, and diplomatic reasons. They they cite economic. You you actually uh, it's good that you talked about the. Um, uh, Germany and and basically it's a gas pipeline project with Russia. Uh, I think they're called Nord Stream Two. That's right. a huge, huge project between uh, Russia and and Germany and then the rest of Europe. That's right. I mean, that's, that's the that's, main that's, gas line for Europe. The main natural gas line for Europe, Jamal. And if Russia decides to kill that, I mean, it'll hurt Russia obviously because you know that's a big economic uh, engine for Russia, but it would be devastating for Germany and the rest of Europe in terms of the, you know, natural gas needs that uh, the European Union has and needs. And so there's a lot at stake here. And, 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 you know, to say that the UK supports this, I don't think that's entirely correct. Boris Johnson supports it, but Boris well, Johnson is yes. on the ropes right now. He's and in he's, his weakest and he's, position. He's supporting because this is a report uh, that Biden reportedly is considering deploying several thousand U.S. troops, which I think are not enough anyway, as well as warships and aircraft to NATO allies in the Baltics and Eastern Europe. So should he continue with this plan? What's going to happen? Well, um, I just want to say another thing. I mean, the Europeans, I mean, and again, 
just from the larger kind of historical perspective, let's not forget that during World War II, the Europeans suffered in ways that we here in the United States never can imagine suffering. We lost, you know, tens of thousands of soldiers, no doubt that that was horrific and, you know, economic toll. But let's remember Germany, France, the bulk of Europe was bombed, destroyed, and in many cases decimated after World War II with how many thousands, tens of thousands of civilians dying in World War II, Jamal? Um, you know, you know, the Europeans, in terms of their experience of war, is very different from the American experience. So there are economic reasons why the European Union may not be completely behind the United States, but there's also this historical memory of World War II. Having said all that, I, I think that it's 50-50 if Putin invades. I kind of think he will. My kind of feeling is that he's willing to take that risk, even because even if he lo he's got 100,000 people at, at the various three border areas, you know, with the Ukraine right now. He's got nothing to lose, Jamal. There's absolutely nothing that uh, Putin has to lose. He's only, whereas the United States and Europe has everything to lose. And, and talking about his uh, memory or historical memory that you're citing, everyone loses when they try to invade Russia. And because you mentioned Napoleon, Napoleon tried it and failed, and then Hitler right. tried it and failed. So right. it's not easy to go into war against the Russians. No, and listen, Putin, people are really misplaying and misunderstanding Putin. They, they I mean, he is, he's a brilliant tactician who's really disturbed. And the combination of being really brilliant and really disturbed is not a good combination. You know, when, you, when you're engaged in di diplomacy, Jamal, they have this term called rational actors. Are our states or diplomats, are they rational actors? Will they, you know, do things that are rational? You know, by and large, you know, the way the most of the Western world engages in diplomacy, you could say yes. Am I, I to presume just that you look <laughs> deep into Putin's eyes? <laughs> no, but I've looked carefully at who he is, his history. I've I've read and you know watched documentaries and read history pieces on who who he was and where he came from. This guy is cold-blooded, man. He's he's a cold-blooded killer. He's really really smart. People say he's the wealthiest man in the world by far if you look at everything that he controls, and I think that's probably true. Um, I, I think the United States is really, and the EU is really already lost. I think they lost with letting Putin take Crimea. The fact that we that just happened and there were real no real consequences and that he's already established 100,000 people at all the borders, three, three of the borders with Ukraine, I think, there's already war, as far as I'm concerned. And whether or not they'll actually invade, per se, I kind of think they will, and I think it will be devastating. But here's the thing. We know this from recent history. Who's willing to die? I don't think European troops and the European Union are willing to put their, their blood and treasure on the line. They're not. The Russians will. They've got nothing to lose, 100%. And if you know anything about Russian history, and I know you know this, Jamal, the Russian military, very proud. They they will, they're like really solid, you know, when it comes to like the mentality of fighting. They may not be the best fighters, but they will fight to the death. And whether or not the Ukrainian army, which is not that good, um, is going to withstand. No, no, I, the Ukraine will be run over in, in, in a matter of, Days. Uh, and, that's and the, and that's the, every and the, military analyst says the and same thing. And the Europeans thing. are not going to step in. And the Americans. They've asked, by the in. way, for Patriot missiles, and they said no. Uh, yeah. Let's wait. I mean, you know, they're, they're very desperate. Uh, you're listening to Arab Talk on KPO San Francisco 89.5 FM. I want to stay on the same topic just by I want to shift our attention to the Middle East because we talked about the impact on Europe and, and the United States. 
I see a big impact on the Middle East. Like absolutely, I just 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 like watch the prices of oil. You know, the Brent crude futures rose fifty eight cents uh, to about eighty eight dollars, making their way close to hundred dollars. They're going up and down. Also, they, you know, I mean, I mean, this is gonna. <laughs> The effect is not just going to kind of be uh, curtailed to only the Ukraine and and Russian borders. Going to affect the shipping lanes in the Gulf, in the Mediterranean, everywhere. Well, oil prices are going up, Jamal. And one of the reasons Biden is his ratings are so low right now is because people feel economically that inflation is eating way into uh, any money that they may have had. So inflation is up. The, not that everything goes by the stock market, but the last week has been the worst week for the stock market, uh, you know, in years and years and years. And, and today it's we saw the, a seesaw in the stock market dropping yeah, a thousand under the Biden and, administration. And if oil continues to go up, and Americans are paying over four to five dollars a gallon, we pay close to five. The rest of the country, three and a half, close to four dollars a gallon now. Um, that's going to cause a lot of hurt. Well, it's if a simple. It's a simple formula. Listen to the to as far not just oil but gas. Ga- Russia is the largest producer of natural gas in the world. And you know who is the second country after that, which is the second country? It's is is Qatar. Qatar, you know? yeah. So if you cannot import gas from Russia because You'll of get it the from war, Qatar. you get it from Qatar at a higher price, much higher price. But I think part of what I was going to say in terms of the politics, you know, if prices go up, then Biden's stock and ratings go down. This is back to this thing is like the Republicans will take the House, they'll take the Senate, and they'll be primed for taking over in 2024. But I think we should do a deep dive into the geopolitics of the Middle East, Jamal. This is you well, know, something... Well, you know who else is very nervous about, who else is very nervous about this is Israel. It's As they all should be. over, all over Israeli news for two reasons. They're citing two reasons, of course. Israel, for many years, actually, since I would say the late nineties, uh, they started shifting their policy towards Russia. So they have a lot of rapprochement. They're trying to kind of play this balancing act that they are neutral between Russia and the Ukraine. But there is a sizable. Jewish population in the Ukraine, and and recently the minister of for immigration in Israel, he's been issuing these uh, you know notices saying that we gotta prepare ourselves for a new wave of uh, Ukrainian immigrants. You know there are a lot of Ukrainian Jewish immigrants who immigrated to Israel, but there are still uh, left behind. And then so that's one thing that, that they're talking about without making any accusations or taking right. any position towards Russia or whatever. But they say that this is a major uh, that could create a scenario for, for Israel that thousands of Ukrainian Jews or descendants of Jews may choose to immigrate to Israel. This is, uh, you know, this is um, a statement was saying by Svetlova said, calling on the Aliyah and Integration Ministry to prepare for their right. arrival. Aliyah is, is, you know, the immigration into in, into Israel. And the other thing that they are nervous about is that the United States isn't going to have any time to deal with Iran. They are worried about now, well, you know, this is a bigger problem. This is, you have a bigger fish to fry Therefore, the Iran talks will right. basically well, be put to the bottom of the pile of No, of no, no, but it's a little more complicated than that, Jamal, but you're exactly right. Not that the Iran talks will be put to the bottom of the pile. It's the fact that the Iran, U.S.-Iran talks are continuing. And what the Israelis want is the United States to put it as the top priority. We're continuing, but the United States is not going to listen to Israel and start now opening another front. But that's my point. Confronting the Iranians. Right, but they're not uh, going to stop. they have an issue with Russia. No, what the Israelis want, they want these talks to stop. They they want pressure. Yeah, they want them to stop. The big ask is really they want, they've asked for many years the United States to to bomb Iran. So here's the thing, Jamal. Who are the big allies of Russia in the Middle East in the and in the region you know you have Iran is a big is a big Syria. ally Syria parts of Iraq and Lebanon, uh, Lebanon. Hezbollah. yeah so you have 
you have this larger geopolitical proxy engagement, not just in the Ukraine with NATO and the EU, but also in the Middle East, also in Africa, also in Central and South America. This is a microcosm for a much larger division that's occurring in the United States. And China and Russia are forming more of an economic alliance. So you're, this is why I think it's so big right now. And I think Biden sees that. Even though there's nothing he can do, Biden has a weak hand right now. But it has the potential. Here's the other thing, Jamal. If oil prices keep going up, that's going to strengthen the Saudi hand. It's going to strengthen the, you know, the Emirates hand. It's going to strengthen all of the major oil producers, uh, you know, in a big, 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 big way. And by the way, who else does it help, Jamal? It helps Russia. When the price of oil goes up, the Russian economy does great because right. that's their greatest contributor to their GDP is gas and oil. So that's so what here is a topic we've discussed before uh, related to this. Uh, just is the double standards. You started by we started talking about yes. this, right? You know, uh, this is what I was going to say. For example, um, U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken uh, today uh, told that uh, about the issue: if Russia does invade uh, the Ukraine, uh, there will be a massive consequences. <laughs> you know, he's talking. Then in another statement, he was talking about territorial expansion. In another uh, statement, he was talking about human rights. And this is actually, he uh, ups, the, ups the ante on human rights when he talks about China. And, and, and of course, we agree with him, you know, about the human rights. However, when it comes, and this is the question, when it comes to Israel occupying the Golan Heights, the, the Syrian Golan Heights, when it comes to the annexation of the Syrian Golan Heights, this is you know during the Trump administration, not only they are, Israel is not criticized, but it's given the blessing of the United States. The full blessing, Jamal, and that's why it's not even a double standard. I think it's a triple standard, to be quite honest with you, and the hypocrisy of the United States. This is why, you know, we're witnessing kind of less unity and less kind of uh, worry about the so-called superpower of the United States. We've been weakened, we meaning the United States and its perception of the United States as a superpower that can't be defeated. It's great. You know, people have to listen to the United States. Well, when you look at the triple standard, double standard, whatever way that the Americans let Israel the apartheid regime of Israel get away literally with murder, expansionism, apartheid, lav threats, attacks on human rights. And we, we should, we'll talk about this if there's time. You mean the Israeli military killed an American citizen, you know, uh, recently, and they won't be held accountable for that, a Palestinian American citizen, uh, recently. So, you know, why should anybody listen to Antony Blinken or the United States? you know, extolling human rights and, you know, protection of, of uh, human rights and, you know, confronting expansion when they just let it go free. This is why... I'll tell you, I tell you the answer. Maybe this is... Uh, I'm just being facetious uh, here. Uh, it's a complicated problem. Yeah. When they talk... When they say... When they talk about the occupation of the West, West Bank, they say, well, this is a complex problem. It's, it's complicated. <laughs> but then when they want to, you know, the, you know, anything that Israel does, you know, let's, it's let's complicated. Kind of, it's complicated. But anything that the Russians do, it's not complicated. That's kind of like, oh, that's they're invading another country, they're taking another territory. But it's when complicated it's, when it comes to invading also uh, and and violating the sovereignty of Lebanon and Syria all the time. Israeli planes doing that and and. No, no, it's it's complicated. But it, actually, Jamal, you're bringing up a really good point because in reality, it's just the opposite. When it comes to Palestine and the apartheid regime approach to what they're doing in Palestine, it's not complicated at all. They say it is, but it's not. When it comes to Russia, all of those issues we talked about today are complicated. And even though Blinken wants to say, well, it's just human rights, it's blah, 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 it's actually much more complicated than Blinken uh, wants to let on to. And we've, we've kind of just scratched the surface today in our discussion about how complicated it is historically, geopolitically. It's kind of, it's going to impact the world economy and the world politics. So 
You know, you're you're bringing up a really good point because in Palestine, not complicated. When it comes to Ukraine and Russia, very, <laughs> very, very complicated. Very, very complicated. I want to uh, shift gears here and talk actually more about what's going on in Palestine. Yeah, we should. You know, just the, the, these reports, which I, I think they're not even complete, but we keep always citing reports, uh, human rights organizations, uh, you know, talking about apartheid. This is a recent report by Israeli human rights organizations. Not one, not two, not three, several actually. Human rights organizations documenting uh, Israeli settler attacks on Palestinians in 2021. And to tell you the truth, I was surprised to read the report and where it was published because usually this is something that will be published in Haaretz. Right. But this time it was published in the Jerusalem Post. That's unusual. I have an issue with the Jerusalem Post because, you know, they are usually follow the uh, basically what uh, the Likud kind of uh, their, their, or Netanyahu. I used to call them the Netanyahu paper or something like this. But anyway... 496 attacks by settlers that several of those resulted in death and bodily injury and harm, attacks on women, attacks on children, that even the Israeli human rights organizations are disgusted by. I don't hear a single word from Anthony Blinken. Where's Anthony Blinken? Because you just kind of like made my blood boil when you reminded me about the American citizen. Palestinian American citizen, an elderly person who was killed, who was blindfolded and who was handcuffed uh, with a zip tie. I I would say he was murdered, Jamal. He he was assassinated, basically, and left to die or killed and left, you know, like they're trying to make up these claims. Oh, we, we, uh, he resisted arrest and then we interrogated him and then we left him. He must have had a heart attack. Nobody, and you leave an old guy with his eyes blindfolded on his knees with uh, his hands tied, his now they found him face down dead. They didn't bother to call an ambulance. Let's say I'm just taking their story, saying, okay, maybe he died later or, you know. And this story is dead in the media. I don't hear what do you mean, anything dead, about this. It was never alive in the media. It, it was, never, ne- but I said, even, you know, no one is talking about it. This is an American citizen. You're issuing today warnings telling American citizens in the Ukraine to leave. And this is an American citizen who was murdered in, by Israeli soldiers. And then you say, we are communicating, we're investigating. What, what are you talking about? You know where he died? Let me tell you something. Basically, it's about five uh, miles away from, no, I should say 15 miles away from the U.S. Embassy in Jerusalem. Unbelievable. you know, what what are you talking about investigating? You have a huge embassy there. You have a huge staff there. And we cannot even talk about it right here in the United States. And and no one in the U.S. media is talking talking about it. And then at the same time, you're condemning Russian action. Right. And that's such a great point, Jamal. I I think that what's even more disturbing, nothing from Antony Blinken, nothing from the State Department, and this this American citizen's family is trying to get answers from the United States, and they have been stonewalled by the U.S. State Department as well as the White House. They're being stonewalled and not getting any information, not getting an investigation to an American citizen who is murdered, murdered, by the Israeli military. Now, and this you, comes on the heels of this report that I was talking about, 496, exactly. like, let's make it 500 uh, Palestinians, uh, have 500 attacks by Israeli settlers. Again, land grab going on on a daily basis, no condemnation. Anthony Blinken, on, in, where are you? Uh, Anthony exactly. Blinken. This is, this is where the hypocrisy lies. Yeah, and it's it's triple hypocrisy. Now, I, I do believe, you know, just to bring it back to Russia, um, the, you know, Russia's going to come out on top no matter what happens. That's why I think the Israelis are going to end up losers 
in in this geopolitical battle because they've hitched their wagon to the United States in such a way that this this is going to have a lot of negative downstream effects you know the implications here even if you know the 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 quote war physical part of the war doesn't go forward the 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 we've talked about this marathon you know in terms of confronting israeli apartheid and their human rights abuses this tarnishing of the us superpower you know presentation and image in the united states is diminished and will continue to get diminished that's only going to allow it and make it easier for the world community to confront the human rights abuses that the apartheid regime of Israel is doing. If it's coming from within, Jamal, like you said, if you had all of these Israeli human rights organizations coming out with these reports condemning these illegal colonial settlers' attacks on Palestinian civilians, if that's coming from within— you know, that's part of the marathon that's being run. Well, right I mean, now. we cannot claim to be that we are the bastion of democracy and human rights and so forth and go to the United Nations and lecture China about its record on human rights and lecture which terrible. Russia, which, which is, is terrible. terrible. And then They're at the same terrible. time, turn a blind eye when you have an American citizen murdered by Israeli soldiers, when you have 496 Absolutely. attacks Absolutely. By, is, by settlers, by the way, many of them are American citizens. We know that, right? So many of them are Americans who That's are attacking right. now innocent That's Palestinian right. civilians. That's right. And then the State Department doesn't say a word about this. Well, I think that's exactly right, Jamal. And you have American citizens who are getting away with murder in other countries, killing other American citizens and getting away with it and not being held accountable either by the United States or by the apartheid regime. So I think that, you know, I mean, this is part of what I'm saying is that this long arc of history, Jamal, in terms of what's happening in the United States, we're heading into a period of time where there's going to be economic difficulties here in the United States. We well, have we're seeing that. We're seeing yeah. the economic yeah. difficulties. You know, you and have... Perhaps with this, we should talk a little bit uh, about the standing of uh, Joe Biden. I think his, his sinking in the polls every day, you know, uh, the economy is not doing well. The COVID is not, not doing well. Inflation is, not doing is out well. of control. Yeah, the reaction to Russia, even that's a continuation of to the Obama administration. Uh, you know, it's a lot of things actually that affect. Well, and if you want to talk presidency about, and affect the Democrats uh, next year, I think that's exactly right, Jamal. That's why I made those predictions for this year, twenty twenty two. I hate to say it, but looks like I'm going to be right. But if you want to talk about Russia human rights and Russian human rights and Chinese human rights, what about American human rights where, you know, the right to vote is being, <laughs> the right to vote is being destroyed, you know, for people who are economically we, – we commit our own human rights violations by the attacks on voting rights here in the United States too. So, you know, I mean – it's good to be transparent. It's good that we're critical. But when I see Antony Blinken, it makes me sick to my stomach lecturing the world. And I'm telling you, Jamal, even though a lot of what he has to say may sound good and may sound right, people don't believe it anymore. And Putin knows this, by the way. And Xi Jinping knows this. And they know that the Americans are weak right now. And they know that Biden is weak right now. I think the only Two countries that are really sweating it right now are the United States and the apartheid regime. The Israelis are sweating it right now because, you know, they've hitched their wagon to, uh, you know, kind of a falling star right now. So, you know, we shall see. But uh, I don't see how Biden gets out of this, Jamal. I really don't. I don't know. Maybe you have some insight into this, but I don't see how he gets out of it. Well, not if we just, uh, if he keeps going on the same path because... Uh 
nothing has moved uh, so far when it, he couldn't pass any of the things that he promised the American people that he was going to pass. Some, he did some good, but, and I don't blame him all the way. I blame, of course, the Republicans for for blocking that and some, and some Democrats. Democrats, you know, when you have w- from within your own party people who are against you. But um, also, uh, he has not been very transparent about uh, you know what's going on with COVID, with testing. That's also another another fiasco. Oh, things I've noticed. Don't get that me started. Don't get things me started. have started to improve a little bit because I was driving around and I saw a few testing centers uh, just that you can get a free test. But in now. reality, Jamal, things are not better. I mean, I no, I'm, no. I'm ju- I mean, uh, the in reality, the the Biden administration, I would give it a grade of C minus D plus. On well, COVID. you and I know uh, what's going to happen at the end. Aside, yeah. even 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 with uh, with the terrible spread of COVID and 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 the, and the people dying here, the end of the day, and with all the international tension with Russia. Americans are going to vote with their wallets. Hundred percent, they will so, get co- they will get COVID when they go to vote, and they're it doesn't matter. It, it doesn't, doesn't matter if, if doesn't. the price of uh, if gasoline is over five dollars a gallon, if That's, the loaf of bread has doubled, which it has, which it has, milk when they cannot find eggs, consumer goods meat. that that the shelves are empty, etc. That's going to be the deciding factor. Right. It's not, you know, nothing nothing else and so far I you know he has he's gotten an F on this and he has less than as far as the party concerned not about as far as his uh, uh, presidency he has about they have less than 6 months to turn this around. I don't think that's not going to happen. And part of the reason why it's not going to happen is because Putin, I mean I'm sorry to keep going to how smart Putin is, but he knows this. He can drag out the Ukraine issue for 6 months. <laughs> That's going to influence the midterm elections. And people have given up on the Biden administration's approach to COVID-19, Jamal. I, I, I know that you may see or our listeners and viewers may see that, oh, the, the tide has turned. Well, three states have seen a slight downtick in the number of infections. But the reality is, Jamal... 2,000, more than 2,000 people are dying a day. And in the West and in 20 states west of the Mississippi and some in the South, Jamal, we're still seeing outrageous infection rates for Omicron right now. Here in the West and here in California, even in Northern California where you and I are, we're seeing hospitals coming apart at the seams. We're seeing healthcare workers who are totally burned out. I tell Anybody who will listen to me, don't get into a car crash. Don't have a bicycle accident. Don't take care of your health. Don't don't have a heart attack right now, <laughs> because if you need to get to a hospital and see your doctor or get elective or emergency care, you're in trouble, frankly. And you know the long something happens imp- to me. Just I'm coming, throwing myself in front of your door. <laughs> <laughs> you. You can come anytime, you know, you know that. But my my worry is that no, no, you, you, people are talking about right. people are talking about Omicron, but I'm telling you what I see in the trenches with my colleagues at, at UCSF. No, no, listen, I've read so many stories. I've heard stories of people like having like a heart attack and going to the emergency and they a room and they they send them to another hospital and yeah. then they died on the way. You know that that's right. that has this has come this is very common and this is in someone, California but Jamal this is in California including someone who was airlifted in a helicopter That's right yeah and he I, died on the way I, I I you know I mean people are not aware of this they they live in La La Land but we do have this issue And at the same time Jamal yesterday you had a massive march in DC against the mandate So and again, you know, we have a divided country. We have people who don't believe in masking. We have a country that doesn't believe in vaccines. We have, we're still, I mean, if you look like 62% of Americans have only been vaccinated with two shots, less than, maybe it's about 30% 
of people who are eligible for boosters have gotten it. We are so far behind. And listen, you just came from Europe. People in Europe, even though there are political differences in Europe, right? People people aren't acting this irrationally the way no, they Americans have a system. Do. Just they, they have, have a system. system. You can you get know, you tested. You cannot go inside. You cannot right. you have to get tested. They have testing sites everywhere. We don't well, have here that. Is the, here, here is a scenario. You know, this is like, again, the, we cannot even at the federal level make it mandatory that people when they check in or they want to go into an airline that they have to show their vaccination card. They don't, we don't, they don't have ask for Or to show that you have had a um, antigen test 24 hours. Right. Well, guess what? When you travel to the United States, that's a requirement. Hello? So when I when I flew to the United States, I knew the minimum the minimum thing. I couldn't set foot inside the airport without making sure that I had my negative test and I had my three shots and my passport, like the three items they needed for me to board the, and my boarding pass to right. board the plane. Right. And well, this is... I flew to Washington, D.C., and then yeah. I had to take a plane from Washington, D.C. That's the local to here. Nobody cared. I just they walk don't. in. And and so I, I now I, I was unable to tell that, that when I was on that second flight, like that who was vaccinated and who was not. Right. So, well, that's exactly my point, Jamal. And this is why I think our not only is our country divided politically, we're divided uh, intellectually. I mean, I know that's a very harsh thing for me to say, but conspiracy theorists, white supremacists, um, and really kind of wacky people are given. I mean, you had you had a woman. In the United States, this is, uh, I think, in North Carolina, who said, if you make my child wear a mask, I'm going to bring all my loaded guns and weapons and I'm going to confront the Jeez. school board. So, and, 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 and you have still people who embrace what happened on January 6th when there was an attempt at a coup d'etat in the United States. We do not have our house in order here. So is Putin, I'm sorry to keep going back to Putin. Is Putin going to take advantage of that? Yes, he already has. He'll continue to do it. That's why if we have to grade or we have to predict, you know, who's going to come out on top, that's why I keep saying he's already won, we've already lost. I can't even imagine, Jamal, a scenario of Biden doing something where it's going to leverage in a positive way something good because if he goes to war, it's going to be bad. And if he doesn't go to war, it's going to be bad. So Biden's in a lose-lose. Putin's in a win-win. It's not looking good. You've been listening to Arab Talk on KPO San Francisco. 89.5 FM. Go to our website, arabtalkradio.com, to download the latest episodes. And we will talk to you next week. We'll see you next week. Next week.